All right, Seattle sucks here. We're in our war room here for our emergency podcast. We just got the numbers in for the state of Washington. I got Greg, our emergency uh, correspondent here. Uh, Greg, how those numbers looking? Hey, Brian, you know, all joking aside, and, you know, this is something I didn't see coming. Uh, blowing out records numbers, just the the numbers I'm seeing break all previous records right now washington state has 1469 active current coronavirus cases blowing away all previous coronavirus numbers this is the biggest peak we've seen yet you've heard it here first guys november 3rd we're blowing out all records Welcome back to Seattle Sucks, a podcast about hating the city we love. Welcome, everybody. This is a city that I do love right now, and I love it because I don't know where I was going with that whole thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just love voting because, so much. Because you're so voting. proud to see it turn blue on the big the big war room I, board. I was so scared that we were going to go for Trump and, uh, you know, just very excited that instead of Donald Trump, we have a hardcore socialist like Joe Biden, who definitely has very different policy ideas than the Republican Party, and uh, very excited about that. Um, but yeah, good times. So if you guys uh, haven't picked it up yet, we are doing an election special episode. Yeah, right and now. you are. It is now November fourth, evening of November fourth. We're watching results come in, and you have a limited number of days left to vote. So. Yeah. Try and get your vote in in the next two weeks. Yeah, I, I know you have more time than that, but it's one of those things. Don't put it off. All right. <laughs> yeah. Try and get it done early. So in the next two weeks before Turkey Day, try and get your vote in. Cool. Well, uh, Brian, you and I were on stream on day stream last night watching the results. Uh, not really coming. They kind of stopped coming in <laughs> by that time. And we were all just like, is this it? And yeah. uh, the results went to bed. And we were, I mean, you know, we were not trying to bring the five down, but we were definitely the two of us uh, shooting glances at each other on that couch, looking down at our phones, like kind of shitting bricks, like, holy shit, uh, this looks like like trash. But Yeah, we're uh, like, holy shit, uh, Lauren Culp is going to win, uh, which was good for us because we both voted for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Embarrass. I mean, okay. Should we start like in locally here? Um, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk uh, local news. I think uh, the governor's race is as good as a place to start as any. I didn't look at the latest numbers today, but I mean, last night with quite a bit reporting, Lauren Culp had an entire forty percent, which is, uh, you know, I mean, in American electoral terms like that's a landslide for jay inslee i mean almost no other race will finish that far ahead in the entire country if any at any level right but um but how fucking embarrassing and that that's really the theme i think of this whole thing is just embarrassment for no matter what your perspective you know uh just for america 
certainly the Democratic Party, which is incapable of embarrassment, uh, should feel embarrassed. But Jay Inslee, who I, you know, will tout this as a great like landslide victory. Forty percent, forty percent to Lauren Culp, who I saw a his big pitch is basically like anti-mask, like conspiracy theory, whatever, like um, cause du jour of like the online MAGA right is like that's Lauren Culp. So I, there's a billboard in Inner Bay that says under Governor Inslee with Culp's face huge on it, just says under Governor Inslee masks will be forever <laughs> and it's like what what does that actually even mean how is this possibly a the sort of through line of an entire political valence like yeah it's uh and that got 40 percent of the vote in this in washington state i'll hear on the left coast yeah i mean when you're running against uh such a ridiculous figure you'd hope for better now i will say the one funny thing that did happen to lauren culp was uh was that as he was running right and essentially had relinquished his sheriff's position in republic to run uh the town of republic decided hey who needs a sheriff defunded the police department and killed his position that is amazing and that Where is the fuck is republic that is extremely funny uh i believe it's in eastern washington yeah but like All i don't right. know colin where's republic you know the I other don't. side I honestly, I don't know, and I haven't looked, but I do know that it is the east side of the mountains. Uh, what was funnier is he posted a sad boy video this morning about it in his car with his his like earpods in. Yeah, I mean, he's going to become one of those crying cops on TikTok that plays, you know, the sad version of Radiohead's Creep while he, you know, cries that nobody <laughs> loves him. whoa holy shit guys breaking news (laughs) holy fuck republic is at the intersection of the 20 and the 21 in north north fucking uh washington like way way uh north of the grand coulee dam yeah by the uh, canadian border yeah like up near the fucking border fucking no nothing no one is alive up there that's like a an an undeveloped wasteland well cool 40 percent 40 percent for the cop who uh whose department was defunded You know, was it defunded because he refused to prosecute a rapist? Who knows? But we'll see. He <laughs> refused to arrest uh, a rapist. I'm, we'll I'm get- so they had one cop, right, for like the pe- town of yeah. a thousand people. And mm-hmm. now I'm guessing that just means they decided it would be cheaper to contract services to whatever like shit county that that is. Yeah. So now whatever county sheriff will be rolling through their town instead. I'm get- That's just a guess. I'm obviously not going to look into that. Well, I don't care what happens in Republic or to Lauren Culp. And I don't think anyone's ever going to care again. You know, he is the kind of figure in a lot of ways who could like use this grift to catapult himself to a a cush gig. You could see him, but he's just like so many other figures we've seen. He doesn't have half the charisma. I mean, this is a guy who's markedly, markedly less charismatic and intelligent than, say, Ari Hoffman. (laughs) who we've already seen totally fail to parlay his worthless, pointless candidacy uh, for like right wing revanchism into any kind of media career. So I don't think we'll ever hear from Lauren Culp again. I mean, 
we may since he's been canned from his job and is now just like probably terminally aggrieved and sees himself as sort of a, a like a wounded hero or something the probably i would bet the next time we hear from him is in the form of a mugshot well uh breaking news out of uh republic uh somebody has heard lauren culp's please and has put forward this offer that he can mow my lawn. So, future <laughs> work for Lauren Culp ahead. Hell so, yeah. just glad to hear, you know, the thing about elections that I hate, Greg, is that it's, with an election, you necessarily have a winner and a loser. And I I don't like to see people... This is people a big brought, problem with the Constitution. Yeah, it I is. Agree. It is. I don't like to see people brought down like that. So, I'm just glad to see Lauren Culp can be landing on his feet, uh, doing well out there. So, good for him. Well, while we keep it on cops, right? Let, let's go. Let's let's get to the beef here. Uh, let's talk King County amendments. In the case of King County amendments, uh, guess what's happening with the sheriff's office in King County? Fill me in, Brian. Well, first off, it's going to be appointed, and its duties are now going to be uh, determined by the King County Council. Uh, overwhelming results in both cases. Uh, the King County Sheriff being an appointed position, won by 12 points, and the duties being appointed by the King County Council, uh, that won by, oh my god, I gotta do math, 25 points. Wow. Wow. That is unalloyed good news. It is not great mm-hmm. news, because it's really a kind of a small gesture and a step. We talked about, was it just last week we talked all about this? Mm-hmm. Um, but that is good news. I mean, especially that it that it so easily, like, blew past the the numbers like that's great i mean good yeah it absolutely crushed also the the olio or office of law enforcement oversight the subpoena authority passed you know 82 percent for um as well as the inquest process passed 80 percent for now the thing i think to say about this is you know we mentioned this mentioned this on the stream last night but i think this is a cart in the horse scenario where people need to keep focused on what actually put these things on the ballot and got them passed, which yeah. is uh, people in the streets uh, protesting uh, police violence, protesting you know the police existence, right? Demanding things be defunded, all this kind of stuff. That's what got these things on the ballot, and that's ultimately what you know had people thinking, "Fuck, we should pass this." Yeah. And uh, so this is the cart. The people in the street were the horse, but uh, very good, very good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. And yeah, I mean, you know, when we get through all this uh, wonkery, we should really talk about like, yeah, like what is how do we drive the horse forward? You know, other things that passed, you know, Harvard, the Harborview uh, Medical Center bond that passed, which is good because we're all about to die of COVID. So guess what, guys, you might be able to get intubated in a newly renovated unit. So very exciting. In other Washington news, um, uh, looks like Danny Heck is going to be the lieutenant governor. Obviously, Bob Ferguson was reelected uh, once again. Looks like uh, we will just terminally have a Republican secretary of state in this fucking state. I guess it's like... Do you, just- do you think that electing another Republican secretary of state means that we're going to be on a permanent war footing with China from the state of Washington. I hope so. Um, Kim Wyman's the incumbent as well. I mean, I guess it's a fucking miracle that we don't have a Republican fucking uh, attorney general. Yeah, that sucks, but it doesn't. I mean, who cares, right? But um, it, it is just funny. It's just like 
the way people split votes in this state is is very strange. Um, but I mean, this that's America. It's everywhere. People split their fucking. We're seeing that hugely in the presidential race and the Senate and the House. Um, so, you know, so okay, so more local Seattle. Um, some good news. Kristen Harris Talley uh, was elected pretty handily. Looks like uh, down in the um, south end. Uh, the candidate we were sort of most closely following Sheree LaSalle's has not been elected to uh, represent their district in Olympia. That will go to uh, 55-year incumbent uh, Frank Chop, who, as you know, based on his statements over the last week leading up to election, it's clear he has, you know, because of this challenge, been pushed almost as far left as when he, he as he himself was when he first entered the legislature in the mid 90s so congratulations um democracy works everybody that's a bummer <laughs> that race you know that's something we were invested in i was out knocking a lot of doors for sheree um, a lot of really good people were really excited and uh they're really good candidate with you know a lot of really brave and bold things to say about how they would seek to govern in olympia and it's a bummer uh that that is just uh totally that the just democratic incumbency and the power that represents is just something you can't go up against even though everyone seems to know frank chop is going to retire midterm so that the Democratic Party organization can uh, essentially appoint a successor who doesn't have to go through a primary and a general election before filling the seat uh, to prevent the possibility of electing a candidate like Trey LaSalle's. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was kind of interesting. Last time on the stream, we had uh, Cassidy on who's been on the show before, and uh, she was saying, like, that's actually extremely common. <laughs> Yeah, they will run an incumbent who plans to retire so they can replace them sort of, you know, midway through the term. And then that with a back room, you know, smoke filled room kind of deal. And that person then becomes the incumbent for the next election, which is obviously a huge step up for them or like a huge, uh, you know, boost for them. And uh, I just got to say, democracy works. Yeah. Which dimension of chess is that? (laughs) So like the seventh dimension? The thing is, that's just chess. (laughs) <laughs> i think <laughs> i think that's just uh the rest of us are playing checkers yeah it was uh you know i mean what are you gonna do right the system works yeah look proof. that's that's it's em- it's just one minor sort of funny thing that's and emblematic of everything we call liberal democracy in america like it's a fucking joke it doesn't amount to shit which i think is the other theme of <laughs> of uh this cycle we've teased it long enough greg can we talk about the big one? Well, like we said, um, you know, we were sort of shitting bricks last night. Colin, how are you feeling watching this stuff come in? Did you did you lose faith your hero Joe Biden wouldn't <laughs> that would he would make it? Yeah, I just kept saying saying it <laughs> so Joe. Well, you're a work. Uh, I wondered who would fondle those uh, gilded leg hairs. <laughs> well, right when your country Joe character was about to take off, and it looked like it might it might be strangled in the crib. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I was trying not to pay too much attention because, frankly, it just was too much kind of cognitively to take <laughs> on yesterday. But I did check before I went to sleep, and I was basically where you two were at. And I assumed I was going to be waking up today to a Trump re-election. Yeah, I mean, as we closed out the night, it really was a complete toss-up. Everything was shaded Trump, right? Uh, Now, they're still waiting for a ton of votes to come in. And we're still waiting for a ton of votes to come at this point. Nothing's announced at this point. Um, But yeah, it it was looking uh, like Trump was definitely going to win. And I got to say... I think about nine, maybe nine thirty last night. It kind of was clear that this was not going to be a uh, big win for uh, old Joe, for old yeah. crazy Joe. And I started laughing maniacally, and it actually brought me right back to 2016 when I watched Trump win in 2016. And I remember almost uh, falling off of uh, the you know the platform of my machine because I was laughing so hard at how how much the rest have <laughs> fucked it and. Honestly, look, I mean, the, the big takeaway for uh, like, you know, certainly libs on social media or whatever, is, you know, it, look, so let's be clear at this moment. It does look like Joe Biden's going to win, like something yeah, extraordinary is going to have to happen at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's, He's going to scrape by. It's pretty much sewn up. Uh, they're waiting to call, you know, Nevada at least looks almost certain when they get those last few votes in to go for him. And that sews it up right there. That's 270. Yeah. So and then some I mean, at this point, uh, because at this point they're calling, you know, AP is calling uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, hilarious. Like, uh, well, we'll get into all the machinations, but like, you know, earlier today, the Trump campaign was suing the state of Michigan to stop the count. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you still want to stop it now? <laughs> now that that Biden's uh, up a few points. Um uh man um yeah look uh it is fucking hilarious it's hilarious that we're just reliving the same thing that like but ultimately like I, this just clarifies like everything we already knew they the republicans haven't i mean the democrats haven't lost they've won this is their biggest possible win they have done what they always set out to do and in sort of the most like spectacular fashion they are gaining the presidency, but barely, which yeah. is the Democratic strategy. Every time it's let's win by as little as possible <laughs> uh, to keep the stakes high, to keep the promises low. Right. And they they're getting it all in this. They managed to do they managed to run way to the right, beat it like flogging the socialists left in America, preventing Bernie nominating the most racist old shithead they had and they're gonna pull it out they're gonna hit their numbers exactly which is to barely cross that line to just barely win so they can now staff up the entire federal government be in there and meanwhile it's better than they were probably even could have hoped because they clearly didn't want to fucking win the senate or they wouldn't have like put all that fucking money into some a Trumpist piece of shit like Amy McGrath in Kentucky, right? <laughs> they clearly don't give a shit about 
they clearly don't we we are we know they don't want to actually be able to govern uh mm. so this is a big win for joe biden for nancy pelosi nancy pelosi who is probably going to have a slimmer majority in a house that she will somehow still be the speaker of <laughs> than uh in 2020 and a senate which they will not take control of by the looks of it so this is a big win this is a vindication and what's great about for them this is a they'll be saying that to themselves in their hearts and they'll at the same time be able to go on tv you know and in the new york times and the atlantic and whatever and go like joe biden won blah 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 this was a historically high turnout blah 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 uh which it was i mean that is what we're seeing i mean i'd be really interested to really in the next weeks like read stuff about what how these numbers all break down but uh even last night i was saying like i'm skeptical about high turnout you know uh, but it mm. seems like you know as i have been all year um i mean since the primaries are over uh it seems like this was a massive turnout election like I've heard people say biggest in a hundred years, yeah, which is kind of amazing. And then the the Democrats will say, "Look, we oh we turned out all these people and we won." Don't look into it any farther than that, <laughs> because the truth is, you know, not very flattering for them at all. It, it seems pretty clear if turnout is up, it's because so many barriers because of COVID so many barriers to voting were removed that a bunch of people who just never had the time or bothered or didn't regularly uh, were able to vote because there was so much more early voting, so much more uh, mail-in voting available to people that a whole bunch of people who, you know, would vote if it was easy did. So it was nothing Joe Biden did to turn them out. Clearly. I mean, he barely campaigned and more damning they'll they'll just say look we won we won don't don't look any further into it <laughs> uh but more damning is that as turnout went up it, republican turnout went up and this is yeah. something that the democrats have said for years is not how it would work even and me and i be, this is something i actually believed that that you know historically Republicans have the same basic turnout they're ever going to have this rump minority. I was saying this last night in the stream and yeah. that has been true. And what, and under normal circumstances, again, I think that um, that would be true, but you know, the, what Democrats have said for all time is like, as we turn out more people, Democrats will do better because basically, and look, they'll still be able to say it. Cause he did win more Democrat, more of the increased turnout went for Joe Biden than did for Trump. But it's like, Jesus, like this should have been a fucking blowout, right? Well, yeah, I, I, we should talk about that a little bit, right? And then we'll get to the other points that you brought up. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, the the idea that higher turnout favors Democrats, you know, that was considered in political science like an iron law of the modern sort of American electorate. Right? Yeah. I remember 20 years ago taking political science colleges in college or uh, political science classes in college where they would say we're. I mean, we'd talk about this very thing. We'd be like, look, you know, um, if you can depress voter turnout enough, the Republicans will win because they will always turn out the exact same number of people. The only group that's variable is the Democrats, right? And uh, what we saw here 
was that law that law that held true i mean the reason why it was considered like an iron law is at that point it had been true for decades yeah so we're here on probably year 40 of that and what we're seeing is it's actually breaking down right and it is that you know even in the conditions that we're currently in right a pandemic that's killed a quarter million people you know a climate crisis that brought us five of the worst wildfires in California's history this summer, right? A, uh, you know, introduced us to the concept of uh, fire tornadoes and inland hurricanes this summer, right? Uh, and an economic crisis that is going to have the largest eviction, you know, we're facing the largest eviction crisis this country's ever seen, completely unprecedented. And the incumbent Republican Party grew their base the first time for the first time in 50 years grew their base any one and of these crises would have tanked any should have, any incumbent in american history mm-hmm. should have been the end of any incumbent if this if we were operating yeah. on any of the rules that have existed before <laughs> any party any incumbent their fault or not well over you know, when when the economy collapsed in the and of course he's gonna lose it looks like he's gonna lose but the thing is well, His like fucking numbers went up. He more people fucking voted for Donald Trump. It seems now than they did in 2016. Mm-hmm. When the economy collapsed in the Great Depression, and you know Roosevelt won 42 of 48 states against the incumbent because everybody said, "Holy shit, this is a fucking disaster." Now and voted the incumbent out. Now in 78. With, or in 1980, when Carter ran against Reagan in the Volcker recession, fucking collapsed the economy, fucking Reagan trounced Carter. In 92, when there was a minor recession, it ended George H.W. Yeah. Bush's thing. In 2008, you know, even, even though Obama wasn't running against incumbent, he's running against the incumbent party. The 2008 crash swung that election so fucking hard towards Obama that he won in a landslide. And what we see now is a complete reversal of that universal trend in the sense that the incumbent, you know, with a running in an, a scenario or an environment where just unprecedented disaster under their watch, right? Just, I mean, a combination of unprecedented disasters. And they not only almost won, but they grew their base in the process. And other things that we have to factor into this, you know, I think the other, like, you know, boring lib taking a lot of us like, wow, what a racist country. Uh, Donald Trump, it looks like has going to have grown the black vote for the second time now in the presidential election. will have grown the black vote for the Republican Party and even and more will have grown the Latinx vote for the Republican Party. Yeah. And in the thing is, it's like, I, I think there's a thing here that like one dims everybody, you know, all your, you know, uh, lib faves on Twitter are going to completely ignore but something is happening right here that uh, should be deeply troubling. <laughs> deeply, deeply frightening and troubling, yeah. You know, they're all going to claim victory, and they're going to learn, and they're going to insist that there are zero lessons to learn from this. But think about this. If the if COVID, so one of the three fucking disasters we talk about, if COVID didn't fucking happen, right? What? How many states would Trump have won? 50? Seriously, you know, 49, 48. It certainly is 40 plus. Like, I, I mean, it's it. that that's the thing. That's the <laughs> yeah. thing you have to reckon with is the turnout, the boost in turnout. You probably did because it was easier to vote. Probably, you know, re- probably did help Joe Biden much more than help Trump. But even Trump's numbers grew there. But without that, 
and that the double effect, right? The boost in turnout plus what I mean on some level with some people is that this whole fucking disaster has to have been bad for the incumbent. Again, not with everybody, but it has to have had a, an effect on some people. So without that, yeah, he easily wins 40 plus states. Yeah, I mean, basically what we're looking at right here is for Democrats to win as currently constituted, right? To run the candidates they want to run, which are hard right candidates, to run the campaigns they want to run, which are campaigns where you just stand up there and promise that nothing's ever going to change and that people are doomed forever. Uh, basically, in order for them to win these races, what we're learning, they are going to require a once-in-a-century pandemic to have killed at least a quarter million people pro- in the months prior to the election, right? Because we have to assume that this happened at the beginning of the Trump administration. Uh, probably has no impact. Trump wins again, right? So, I mean, it has to happen in perfect timing with the fucking election itself, you know? They have to have... I mean, luckily, the climate crisis thing is only going to get worse, but they need, you know, a war... Like, they basically the Democrats need an apocalypse to happen under a Republican yeah. presidency in order to barely scrape a victory out. But it's not anything it. you can bank on. And that part's not that part for whatever reason is not a surprise to me. The turnout part, uh, you know, I've been saying all year since the primary, this will probably be a low turnout election because I was just thinking in terms of normal elections, not like like actual ability to vote. Like in the aggregate, I, if you think about it this way, mm-hmm. in the aggregate, voter suppression was actually way down in America this year. In sure. some ways, certain types of voter suppression, especially more targeted, seriously nefarious types, were, were probably up where you have, you, know, you, you have cops like macing uh, lines of, uh, black voters like heading to the polls okay you've targeted at neighborhoods at certain demographics you have them trying to throw out all kinds of shit but overall our whole system suppresses the vote the way from start to finish we make it such a pain in the ass to vote in this country the way a lot of other places don't is a suppression of the vote overall it looks like voter suppression was way down because like just the availability of voting was way yeah. up. Well, and, I, and the main thing is, is that voter suppression mainly happens at the polling place. So just the you know introduction of early voting essentially short-circuited a lot of uh, yeah. the voter suppression that normally happens. Yeah, the normal techniques, yeah. Now, the thing that is less surprising to me is that COVID didn't really have an effect. I mean, this is another thing I've been saying all year until, I mean, the that... that debate kind of swung me and i was like okay maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe people are getting it maybe maybe like as the new fall spike starts like it it'll have its effect but no uh you know my initial instinct was more correct that there's just there has not been enough time for this to be processed for all these deaths the level of death we have and maybe it's not even a time thing that's what i've been saying all year maybe it'll never happen maybe there's no amount of time that will ever make this like a politically salient thing for people because people just don't believe that it can be any different. And fuck, why they're right. Yeah, I, I mean, the COVID thing, the reason why it has no impact is because Biden specifically ran on doing nothing different. Right? Yeah. Like his whole thing was like, what are you going to do different? Well, I'm going to believe science. It's like, okay, so what are you going to do different? And it's like nothing. I mean, 
there was never a plan. No, 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 no. Not everybody gets medical care. Yeah, Fuck you. I never said ag- that. And I don't was, believe it. He was the anti-healthcare candidate in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, basically, what would have what normally happens in a scenario like this, where the incumbent's totally eating shit on, you know, 10 different fronts, is the other candidate runs against him on those fronts. Yeah. Whereas Biden agreed with Trump on every single one of those fronts. It's like, no, I agree with Trump. I'm going to do all the same things he did. Like literally in the last debate, they just yeah. for an hour just stood there and we like, yes, I no, actually I agree with you. No, I agree with you, sir. Yeah. And, and, and so, they were, they were really just accusing each other of lying about agreeing with each other. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, incredible. And, you know, so he wasn't able to turn any of that stuff. And so, yeah, because, you know, if if you're uh, Joe Schmo who's going to go vote or whatever, you look at that and you're like, well, COVID's not an issue because they both agree with each other. You know, like so many things are not an issue because they clearly don't agree with each other. So you're just voting essentially on, um, you know, uh, college football affiliations, probably, Um, you know, urban, rural. That's always the popular one. Uh, you yeah, know, that kind of shit. shit, like the usual shit, like, you know, uh, so, yeah, I mean, and especially but, but, for all those new people, all these people who voted never or once or twice mm-hmm. in their adult life, who suddenly like the ballot just showed up at their house and they're like, oh, OK, I, what I have to get this in by uh, December. Right. And they just happen to get it right. They just happen to have like a free Sunday afternoon and filled out their ballot. And we're just like, well, whatever. Sure. No, this guy seems all right. He's he's kind of tough. What I think the issue, too, is that to get back to the point you were saying earlier, was whether Democrats are actually even attempting to win at this point anything. And I think we had said earlier, and, and nothing proves this more true than this result, as far as I'm concerned. We had said earlier the Democrats won the election they wanted, which was they beat yeah. Bernie. Past that, they didn't care. and They didn't bother to campaign. They put up Joe Biden um, and they just said, ah, you know, if we win, we win. If we don't, we don't. And it looks like they'll accidentally win, but they don't give a well, shit. This is the this is the 17th dimensional chess they're always going on about, Brian. Mm-hmm. This is the real skill. This is like the culmination of the consultant classes like dark uh, magic, yep. like the spells they've been casting for four years. They're doing it. They're coming in. And they're taking the risk because it's it's a big ri- it's one thing to pull out all the stops and try with all your might to win and, you know, let it fall where it may. But to to pull to hold back, to risk losing because you the thing you want most of all is to barely win. That's yeah. that takes balls and uh, skill. You got to give them props. Well, and I think and I want to sort of draw our attention to two races, I think kind of summarize like the actual intent of the democratic party which was the race uh against lindsey graham right in south carolina in the senate and the race against mitch mcconnell right also yeah. in the senate right the democratic party set records in both races for amount of money spent on a single non-presidential race spending over a hundred million dollars against lindsey graham and spending i believe 90 million dollars against mitch mcconnell they lost to Mitch McConnell by more than 20%. They lost to Lindsey Graham by more than 10%, right? By more than 10 points, right? Huge fucking losses. 
and what what was going on in the entire time they were spending that money everybody pointed out where's the money going why are you doing this these are obviously you know lost causes and all this kind of stuff and i think it is showing what a lot of people who were following the clinton campaign in 2016 said which is that to a large part the democratic party is just a money funnel at this point it's just money yeah. laundering it's a way to take money from you know, professional class dupes and major urban areas and transfer it to, you know, friends and the, you know, uh, campaigns and things like that, right? The consultants, the yeah, pollsters, consultants. the media buyers. Yeah. 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 And it's just this huge drop of money. I mean, the funniest thing about the McGrath campaign, which was going against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, was a lot of that money that people, uh, particularly after Ruth Bader you know, Ginsburg, uh, decided to die to make sure that Trump could appoint another Supreme Court justice, um, you know, a lot of that money they were giving to McGrath in response to RBG dying and, you know, Ruth Conda forever and all that shit, uh, literally went to Trump ads in Ohio. <laughs> so That's amazing. The fact that that's <laughs> not like... That that's like a thing that gets talked about on like left Twitter and and not mm-hmm. like in any kind of mainstream democratic mm-hmm. dis- media discourse like that Amy McGrath was a literally a pro Trump Democrat. Mm-hmm. But they all the ones who know the nerds, the Democratic nerds will go like, well, I'm holding my nose because this is the smart thing to do, you know, but they were literally running. Amy McGrath pro Trump ads in fucking uh, the Cincinnati media market, which yeah. Trump is going to win Ohio. Yeah, they were putting that money went to Trump in Ohio. Well, Ohio used to be a swing state that Democrats would win on occasion. Oh, the, uh, the I remember those old days. Yeah, and the thing is, is you know more so than uh, you know why people might have voted for McGrath, or whatever. I want to make a comment just on the Democratic Party itself. So, you know, however many thousands or tens of thousands of dupes who were convinced to give money to this campaign, again, because of a whole made-up cultural bullshit thing with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? And the disgusting fucking notorious RBG shit. None of those people know, and probably still to this day don't know, and probably never will know, that they literally funded Trump ads in a supposed swing state. And the Democratic Party yeah, did losers. The Democratic Party did that to those people. It made them into fools, right? It made them yeah. into into morons, right? Well, and, but, but that comes naturally to the Democratic Party. It's what they do they, every time they accept the vote of yeah, anyone. They are snake oil salesmen. And the thing that people should take away from this, and I say this every election, so you know, we'll see if anybody listens this time. Give up on the fucking Democrats already. Stop fucking supporting this awful fucking party, all right? Like, they are trash. (laughs) Give up on them. Like, they literally took your money and ran fucking Trump ads with it. I don't know what to tell you other than that. Like, they they literally, (laughs) for all that shit they tell you about Trump being uh, Mango Mussolini and the new coming of Hitler and all this shit, they literally, because nobody knew when they fixed the primary for Bernie, nobody knew that COVID was going to go this long or be this bad, especially nobody in the Democratic Party. They literally were like, we'll throw the presidential election in order to keep Bernie from fucking winning and to keep health care off the fucking table. Yeah, they were. There's they were no willing- way. There's no fucking way Trump loses 
without COVID. Yeah. And the Democratic Party was openly and very wide-eyed, eyes wide open, willing to throw this election to Trump. So if you're one of those people who thinks Trump is the worst thing that's ever happened, he's this you know insane existential threat, the Democratic Party was perfectly happy to give you four more fucking years of him. Give up on this fucking party, all right? Like, you need to stop fucking... Uh, don't give him any fucking money. Don't give him anything. Give up on this fucking party. Nothing is going to happen in this country until the Democratic Party fucking dies. Like, it is an absolute cancer on this fucking, you know, on society. How do you feel about it, Colin? Well, I think this particular race kind of highlights a trend that I've been noticing uh, more frequently, which is that for liberals, especially like uh, yuppies, you know, professionals, Mm -hmm. PMC people, is that the only way that you can articulate anything political is by consuming or giving money. And so this whole thing is, it's like everything's mediated mediated by commerce, essentially. Like we have to have shirts, right? Notorious RBG, like you said. Um, Mm -hmm. We have to donate. Like I, I was getting texts from Biden and Harris routinely for more money, just Mm-hmm. give these people more money, right? <laughs> so they could dump it in these black holes in Kentucky and fucking South Carolina, right? You know, yeah, and that's where it went. <laughs> and that's the weird irony, too, that that they're taking all this money and then you get this weird, warm feeling that you're participating in politics in some way by giving somebody who's running against Mitch McConnell and has no chance, never had a chance, no matter pretty much how much money you threw at her, uh, that you're some informed, super liberal, like awesome rock star. And that's the end of your engagement in any political capacity. Well, and I think the thing is, and this is the bigger issue that we sort of, you know, kind of have to talk about, which is the question of where political power actually comes from, where to go in the future. But the one thing is, you know, Americans, for the most part, have completely accepted that their sort of political identity and all that, their uh, their sort of essence is as consumers, right? That's why they yeah. see their political voice and their political input as only being consumption, giving money to a campaign, buying a T-shirt, whatever. And uh, that is, we we've we've dropped the label, we've dropped the class war, and now we're all just consumers in the marketplace, a very neoliberal fucking spot to be in. And we're seeing the results of that, which is the Democratic Party can do whatever the fuck it wants. Because once you give them your money, you have no ability to ask anything of them or right to ask anything of them. And so they tell you to fuck you. They tell you fuck you. And they spend it on Trump ads in Ohio. Again, (laughs) a real thing that fucking happened that nobody is going to talk about after this. Look, it's also part of why, you know, the left has a hard time selling an electoral message is that nobody really believes anything better is possible. And I yeah, it it may be partially because we're so convinced that everything is, like you were saying, Colin, as well, on the level of commerce, that that is the only sort of uh, sphere that anything, uh, any choices can be made in. That when you say, what about Medicare for all? Get on board with that. And people instinctively somehow think, Listen, if that was realistic, I'd be able to buy it right now. It would yeah. be on the market. Yep. 
and you're talking about some some extra market process to introduce a new product that uh, that doesn't make sense the market it all comes to me i have the options it's all there i can make the choices if i can afford them outside of that it it just rings must ring hollow to people mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know just prior to us going on uh stream last night uh without going into too many details but my insurance which i was very excited first time i've had insurance ever in my adult life uh this year very exciting oh wow. yep uh my insurance which i was very excited to have uh finally uh denied my wife and important you know medication that she needs because i guess it's too expensive or something just fucking fuck. denied it what can you do right what the but fuck? this fucking happens to people all the fucking time and i think greg is right in the sense of like this is devastating right this is like devastating shit that happens to people all the time and everybody has stories that was just a very brief one that just happened i could tell a million more and the thing is you know why do people not like People should be going into fucking insurance companies and doing mass shootings, right? Why don't they? There should be a video game about that, yes. Yeah, they literally don't believe anything is possible, right? Because I think I think you're right, Greg. I think they've we've so internalized the neoliberal ideal of the market is the ultimate arbiter uh you know in our lives. Well, and the ultimate provider. Yeah. Is that if it was good, <laughs> if you know having public insurance was good or even possible or possible, the market would have done it already right and the fact that's not there must mean that it's not possible and and not good right and it's in it's this insane spell that people are under but i really do think the part of the reason people are under it is they really do in a lot of ways see their primary identity whether they admit to it or not through their actions see their primary identity as consumers yeah. Which is why whenever something bad happens, the first response is always, uh, I'm going to stop buying beans from those, you know, from that mm -hmm. company, right? As opposed to like, yeah. why don't you organize the workers at the shop there, right? Like do something that actually matters, right? But that never comes up because we're consumers first. We, I mean, Americans love voting with their dollar, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's their favorite I think thing. it reflects how atomized everyone is as well. And that we have also all internalized this concept of more or less being individual rational actors in some supercomputer in Wenatchee. And none of us can coordinate or work together mm -hmm. or make any decision apart from participating, like you said, in some market. And like to the broader context of this conversation, I don't know if either one of you saw the graph that was going around, but it's estimated $14 billion went into this this election cycle, Criminal. Uh, the Criminal. last one in 2016, looks like it was maybe around seven. So it's doubled. Well, yeah. listen. And for what? And honestly, the, the 2016 one probably doubled over 2012. I mean, what we're seeing is because we're all consumers, right? We're, we're, we're seeing this just enormous, uh, you know, tornado funneling money upwards, right? And it's funneling it upwards in every, you know, capacity, whether it's you know, through your school forcing you to buy, you know, or lease, you know, computer equipment that some tech company uh, forced them to force onto your children, right? You know, in every way, or even just the, uh, you know, in the campaign, you know, the campaign system itself, where various consultancy firms has just become welfare for like, cons you know, consultants, right? It's just 
funneling all the fucking money upwards, right? And, and every interaction funnels it upwards. And I think the the consumer mindset that, you know, we're all just individual uh, sort of like monads in the computer or whatever, all that shit, it, it's what we're seeing is the end result of decades and decades of neoliberalism having dissolved like fucking acid all the social fucking all the social bonds that exist between people and as it dissolved all the social bonds it literally left everybody helpless you know it it's the it's the economic version of counterinsurgency right it it goes through it kills any ability for people to resist by destroying their ability to get together and then just leaves them starving in the you know dirt behind and I mean, I, I don't know how you can look at this election and not think, I mean, as it was going, it's like, yeah, this is the confirmation of that. Like, there's no level, I, I guess if this is the space we're in and it's this close or whatever with the incumbent, apparently the incumbent, there's no level of misery they can inflict that won't, <laughs> that will impact them, right, negatively. It, it's it's astonishing. I mean, this is uh, a real testament to you know, what neoliberalism has done to the American psyche up to this point, I think. So then the question becomes like what to ultimately take away with this and how to like move forward. I mean, it's been, you know, already broadly laughed at the idea that, you know, the a Biden administration could be pushed left or something that that was absurd, even in a scenario where he they took back the fucking Senate. But at this rate, that's not even going to happen. And they'll, it'll be the easiest thing in the world for them to just say, well, you know, what, what do you want us to do? Yeah. Um, they've, they've already set the stage for this, mm -hmm. though. Also, you have Delaney coming out saying, oh, we've just reset the clock more than four years. We're going back like almost, I don't know, a decade. And we're going to have this fun bipartisanship conversation. Bipartisanship is and back, baby. Yeah, what? We're bringing the beer summits back. <laughs> what, what he means and... is we set the population clock back a decade because that's how many people are going to die <laughs> of COVID. So, yeah, like to that point, Greg, I think that it's just going to be this fun, cool, holding your hands up and going, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm trying. I'm trying to work with them. I'm trying so hard. Yeah. Yep. Well, I and what I think that has to show us is that it's okay. Like what uh, whatever the the insufferable libs and the Dems say about how oh this is a this is a big win. We did good. We're not stupid. And also, no, you can't criticize the Biden administration or or you can't try to push this left because blah blah blah. Republican. Just the time now. I mean, it was already, I mean, the time to completely check out of this was March, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when Bernie dropped out. But the, once and for all, like, this ratifies every bad feeling you've ever had about the possibility for change in America on through the, you know, path of electoral politics. It's not happening. Yeah, I mean. Don't bother. Yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't worked for 200 years. It's a little foolish to feel. Yeah, now on, the, on the local level, sure, do, you know keep work at whatever but uh on the national level uh there are other th this is basically a con job it's a it's something that's dangled in front of our eyes as a distraction i mean this has all been said but the question of what to do now the answers have nothing to do with how do we push biden left just 
don't. Con- by- a yeah. Biden administration is the enemy. It is it is the uh the executive committee of the capitalist class and nothing more. And it's not going to be anything else just cuz they just defeated uh the big bad orange monster doesn't make put them on the side of any working people or human beings in general they're not going to do fuck all about climate change and frankly that probably means it's too late and probably probably like you know by the end of our lifetimes like the planet will just be a wasteland like well i mean we should talk a little bit about that i mean when we talk about you know the the biden versus trump dynamic whether you can push biden left i mean one of the things you have to consider is that Biden's not making any of these decisions in some sort of vacuum, right? He's going to make these decisions in a world of crisis, right? And so we know climate's going to get worse. One of the things that's driving, you know, migrant movement is fucking climate change. We know that there is a combination of drought and things like that in Central America, as well as a combination of radical uh like mudslides like increasing mudslides and things like that because when the rains come they come late and when they do come there's too much and all this kind of stuff but that's what's happening in central america that is combined with the you know american coups and places like honduras that made those places incredibly violent as well as the weapons that the u.s flooded into that area in the 1980s right is pushing a migrant surge right that you know, as climate gets worse, as, you know, American counterinsurgency in, you know, in Latin America and Central America gets worse, is going to further escalate the migrant crisis. And we don't actually have to ask the question of how would Biden respond to that, because we know how the Obama administration responded to it, which was to militarize the border and put all those children in fucking Why, Brian, cages. they're going to need a wall. Yeah, exactly, right? See, now, see, now, in 2016... Why the wall was racist, but that was a different world. See, yeah. now we're facing an yeah. impending crisis, One more. and that's going to be the entire fucking next four years yeah. is them either responding to or causing a crisis. So if you're trying to push that administration left, it's just going to be to like make their crisis, their authoritarian right-wing crisis response slightly less miserable and horrible, right? Like, because that's what's coming, okay? If maybe a a group of people got into power in this country that had some overarching progressive uh, socialist program that they were operating from, something that was looking ahead to try and actually uh, cut off some of our worst sort of uh, problems of the coming collapse that might have, you know, uh, and that was had developed a base of power with which to confront those problems and actually, like, also respond in a reasonable way to these crises, then, you know, we'd be talking about something. But that's not that's mm-hmm. not what's going to happen. Here. Yeah, I mean, capital will not allow the migrant crisis that climate change is already creating. Capital will not allow it to destabilize the sort of imperial core, right? The United States, Europe, right? That's why the Europeans are like, letting you know a thousand people a year die in fucking boats trying to cross the mediterranean right now and that's why the united states by the way allows 500 people a year to die on the fucking u.s mexico border now under biden as that crisis gets worse capital's not going to allow a more compassionate response the response is going to be to militarize the border 
At the same time, as we slip into this economic depression, and next thing you know, we have 40 million people nationwide about to get evicted, right? When we have unemployment like nobody's seen, right? When we, you know, as this crisis just grinds people down and down, if people go into the streets angry about that, again, what do you think Biden's responses. What do you think his donors are going to allow him to do? And again, we don't have to ask because we already know. We already saw. He's already said it as well. Yeah, yeah. He's already said that he wants to all the Black Lives Matter protesters arrested every time he's been shot in the leg. Yeah, every time he's been asked the question about Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, he mentioned the police should shoot people in the leg. Fucking insane. But when he's been asked about the Black Lives Matter protests, he has always responded, no matter what the question was. Has always responded. I think they should be arrested, right? He says, I think that the rioters should be arrested. Now, we know that Black Lives Matter protesters are de facto or, you know, are declared rioters from the beginning at any of these events, right? But if the question is, hey, they're having an uprising in uh, St. Louis, what do you think you should do? Oh, I think they should be arrested. Oh, hey, the cop shot another black person. What do you think we should do about that? And Biden will say, I think the rioters should be arrested. So he's already said it. We also know what the Obama administration did, which was when they wanted to get rid of Occupy, the Obama administration used the Department of Homeland Security to coordinate a national police strike against the Occupy encampments. When Obama wanted to get rid of Black Lives Matter because he thought it was embarrassing, he used the Department of Homeland Security to put in, to infiltrate people into the Black Lives Matter movement to arrest people. And, oh, wouldn't you know it? A bunch of people in Ferguson who were leading the uprising in Ferguson miraculously felt, were found dead in like cars that were, had been lit on fire and nobody knows how they died. Whoops. You know, I guess just a coincidence. Don't need to look into it in any way. Right. What did he do in Standing Rock? He fucking coordinated with Tiger Swan, a goddamn mercenary firm who he put in charge of the fucking FBI and the local police to go and crack down on water protesters in Standing Rock. And we also know what Biden will do because we know what every Democrat fucking mayor did in this country when Black Lives Matter rose up under Trump, which is brutalize them, arrest them, you know, squash it at any fucking cost. So, again, when you look at all the crises that are on the horizon for the Biden administration that are just baked in, that are not going to, whether you elected Biden or Trump, it's going to have no impact on these crises whatsoever. They're all going to happen no matter what. And you think about how is Biden going to react to it? And the answer is exactly the fucking same as Trump, because capital is doesn't give any fucking leeway on these questions, Right. He has no option. He's going to react that way, not just because he wants to, which he deeply does, but because that is the only option that's going to be on the table. And when it comes to COVID, too, that's the exact problem with COVID. What does he need to do to stem COVID? He needs to shut down the fucking economy and pay people to stay home. What is what has Biden said he's not going to do explicitly? Shut down the economy and stay people to tell people to stay home. So guess what? Also, is not going to get better. Fucking COVID. So it doesn't fucking matter is the point. Do whatever you want when you vote for president. Who fucking cares? You know, vote for, you know, Hunter Biden's cock uh, You know, for fucking president. It doesn't fucking <laughs> matter. And that's the thing that people need to get through their heads. It doesn't fucking matter who's in office. All right. The thing is, the crises are there. The individual in office can't control when those crises come or don't come. And the thing is, their options, their ability to respond to those crises are severely limited by the fact that they are owned. They're owned by the capitalist class and they can't do anything else. And because no one is seriously challenging the power of that capitalist class. And that is not something that 
and a presidential administration in the United States has an independent power to do is the point of this. Uh, that's not something on the menu. Uh, there is only one force that can challenge the power of capital, and that is the people who fucking work for them. Yeah. And so that is can be the only thing... That's really the only thing we can take away from this. It may... This country may be hopeless. There may it may the best we can hope for might be that we lose the third world war, are destroyed, and that whatever the new world order to come manages to mitigate climate disaster. Um, after you know penning the like mutated refugees of America into our continent so that we can't pollute the rest of the world. Um, the survivors of the American nuclear Holocaust. Uh, that might be the best we can hope for. Uh, if we want to try for some, but we have no agency in that. Um, you know, I mean, when the time comes, you can fight for the resistance uh, against uh, the American regime. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, before the Third World War breaks out, um, the only the only option for power you know these are this is all about power it's about who has power and in american federal politics are not a question of who has power it's just a question of uh filling functionary roles and sort of a cultural pageant we have you know if you want to if we want to actually make change in this country we have to force it by taking control of key parts of the economy um and you don't do that by electing people you don't do it with ballot measures you don't do it frankly by marching in the streets uh no shade to marching in the streets for black lives matter or or to defund the police we've done that ourselves and have been in great support of it but it's something much better and more effective than electoral politics we've seen that um that you know things have started to move in this town and a few other places in unimaginable ways because people were just shutting down traffic. But ultimately for all the effort that has been expended in the streets, I think it's a great thing. It has, you know, begun to move things, uh, move policies in small ways. It has also radicalized a lot of people and sort of painted a clearer picture of what our politics are in this city and in this country. Um, And it's, you know, brought a, a, it's an opportunity for solidarity against white supremacy for all people to come together. But ultimately, it's not going to end white supremacy. Marching in the streets, even torching police stations, looting Walmarts, it's not going to do that. Because as much as everyone, Democrat, Republican, and, and your grandma, freak the fuck out at the idea of uh, blocking traffic, forget breaking a fucking window uh it it's not really what gets the goods um ultimately you have to shut down the economy like for real you have to control key places in the economy uh key logistical uh chokeholds and uh and use those for demands and of course what i'm talking about is uh a labor movement you know maybe that looks like something different now you have to separate that idea from what the demands are the demands of a movement uh, have to be the same have to be the end of white supremacy um along with the end of capital it can be the defunding of the police as a start Mm -hmm. but 
The question is the strategy for taking that power, because just advocating for those things is not it. Demonstrating for those things is not going to do those things. So if those are the demands, uh, you're going to have to take power in this economy uh, because that's what actually matters to capital. And you have to challenge their power there. So. Right. And I think, you know, this is kind of a moment to take serious assessment, right? And for all the good things that certainly we've pushed for on Seattle Sucks and, you know, we certainly see happen in the area, right? Including these sheriff's amendments and things like that. What is that compared to what was done against, you know, greater obstacles in Bolivia? Yeah. Right. You know, what is that compared to Bolivian socialism? What is that compared to what was done against, again, even greater obstacles in Cuba, right? And things like that. And the issue is, is that we have to take seriously, look at the past and be like, what has succeeded and why has it, has it succeeded? And, you know, I mean, capital has a great ability to ignore people just marching in the street. I mean, I remember when millions went out against the war in 2003 being one, you know, I was one of those people, right? And I also remember George W. Bush going on TV and literally just telling reporters, yeah, I don't listen to focus groups and doing the war anyways, right? And so the thing is, is capital has a great ability to just ignore that shit, to send the police out to attack it, all that kind of stuff. The one thing it can't ignore is when you shut down its supply chain, when you shut down its ability, uh, its sort of networks, its ability to move goods and to move capital around. And, you know, that's why the labor movement has gotten the goods in the past. Right. And I think uh, we have to be serious about that. The worst thing that happened to the American left was, you know, after, you know, and for reasons that aren't 100 percent its fault, you know, there was COINTELPRO. There was, you know, uh, lots of state repression of the American left. But the worst thing the American left did was it ran away from the labor movement and ran into the colleges. And quite frankly, it needs to get the fuck out of the colleges and back into the labor movement. Not because of some, not because of cultural signifiers, not because the working class is some uh, naturally historically heroic sort of formation. It's just where the power is. Yeah. In capitalism, the capital has the power, but... There is a latent, there is naturally, inevitably a latent power st- sitting on the table yeah. to be grabbed. If you're, f- if, if, look, Amazon takes millions of people in this country alone to run it. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole rest of the fucking economy runs on it. Yeah. That's power. So yeah. that's when, when we talk about, you know, the importance of when the left talks about the importance of labor organizing and a labor movement as foundational to socialism and whatever, it's it's not because of anything but that. That's where the that's the money on the fucking table. Yeah. There isn't there is no avenue to power anywhere else. I don't I'm yeah. not I don't even I'm not even saying totally give up on uh electoral organizing it in parts, especially again on the local level. I mm-hmm. I think it's very important. But it is ultimately going to be meaningless to change any of the big issues like how we confront climate change, how we uh, end white supremacy. Well, how you confront the police, right? The way you confront the police is through the labor movement, you force the police to shut down, right? And things like that, right? You By wielding power. And yeah, I mean, you're right. You If you're in the desert, you don't go to the oasis because it's the moral thing to do. You go to the fucking oasis because it's where the motherfucking water is. Yep. Right. Yes, exactly. And it's like at some point you got to see where the power is. 
And, um, you know, one thing that is definitely going to happen, we've been in a period now of, you know, four to five decades of uh, pretty, you know, pretty serious monopolization in capital, right? You know, uh, we saw, you know, dozens of media firms turn into one media firm with, you know, mouse ears, right? We see, you know, monopolization all across the board. And what we're going to see as we go into this depression is that shit is going to go into fucking overdrive. Like Amazon is going to be half the fucking economy, (laughs) you know, 10 years from now, Uh, which honestly for the labor movement, fucking good. That means that's one logistics network that's easy to fuck up, right? There are a lot of, you know, warehouse workers at Amazon. Um, We can go talk to them. You know, we can go organize them. Better yet, go become one of them. Go work in these places, right? If, listen, fuck whatever you thought your dream career was. You're not going to live out your, like, 85-year no. life expectancy. Yeah. So, you're, you're, sorry. Yeah, uh, your life is like is, a video game entrepreneur is going to be cut horribly short by the continued occurrence of fire fucking tornadoes. All yeah. right? This is a thing that happens now, all right? So... Fuck it. Go to an Amazon warehouse. All right. <laughs> you know, by the way, this is, you know, when the labor market, when the labor movement was, you know, having success in the United States, this is how it functioned is that people, even if they weren't headed towards industry anyways, were told, hey, fuck what you're doing and go into industry. Um, you know, I, you know, I had a friend in Washington, D.C., who his father was part of this like Maoist group in the late sixties who graduated from fucking MIT and became a bus driver in Washington, DC. All right. You know, I guarantee you from MIT, his path wasn't bus driver, but in his mind, he was like, I need to go find a way to actually organize the working class. What's a way to do that. I'm going to join the bus drivers union and start driving a Metro bus in DC. All right. And that's the kind of decisions that people have to make. All right. And and what's great about our moment right now is you don't have to make the same kind of gamble that that guy did cuz honestly he never did organize the working class and there never was a revolution and he probably should have got gone and got a job at Con Ed or something. He uh, hilariously became president of that union. Oh, well. Point. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, a great organizer actually. Great. Great. Unfortunately, Still, unfortunately didn't we matter. needed we needed 10,000 more exactly. of him. Exactly. <laughs> So that's the problem, right? Like, how do you, when you don't know, you have the solidarity of a labor movement behind you that's really going to do something. That's a hard, you have to be an extra brave and noble man like that, that guy to do that. Well, you know what? You don't have to, because again, you're not going to live. (laughs) The world is ending. I don't know how to stress that enough. Yeah. Like you can just, this is just, you have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's extremely bleak, people. I I don't know how to express that enough. We are we are you know maybe getting to that point where people will have nothing to lose but their chains, right? Like yeah. as they take away the last shreds of dignity and stability, um, it's not going to turn. It's not going to be this thing where every where everybody rises up, um, to overthrow capital or even the government uh but it might make a a few people 
few more people willing to take that risk and become serious organizers and more people to be willing to listen to them. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, in June, uh, fires crossed into the Arctic circle for the first time in human history that we know of. All right. Uh, climate change, you know, it's, it's, it's actually already happening. I mean, the Syrian civil war, climate change played a part in that, right? The disaster in Darfur, climate change played a part in that, right? Climate change is going to lead to increasing issues of crop failure and famine, right? Drought, urban areas are going to flood, is going to create a level of chaos that capitalism will only be able to respond to with violence. And, you know, we actually know that's the American response because we've been militarizing our border in response to this. And the Defense Department actually has been making up plans for rapid deployment forces and stuff to respond to climate change disasters, which means to shoot everybody from the third world coming to the Imperial Corps uh, to try and escape the disaster the Imperial Corps caused, right? And this is, you know, this isn't doom saying, you know, uh, hey, a thousand years from now, this is going to happen. Uh, for most of our listeners who we know from our statistics are an average age of 12, uh, this is definitely happening in your lifetime. Now, granted, your lifetime is also going to be cut incredibly short by uh, the rapid uh, spread of disease from climate change. So you're probably only going to live to like 36. But uh, it's definitely, you're going to see this impact. It's already happening. The time to act is now. The, the time to care about the Democratic Party or its failures or whatever was long ago. All right. You know, fuck these elections. You, 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 <laughs> we got to do something else. This hasn't worked for 200 fucking years. You got to do something else. You know, when I would like to just make one last comment about Prop 22 passing California, Oof. which basically allows, uh, you know, the gig industry, Uber, Lyft, etc., to not have to call their employees employees or give them the legal protections thereof, uh, essentially making them independent contractors. And I will point out that was the normal state of affairs in the United States, which was as a worker, you were just an independent contractor and your employer bear, bore no responsibility for you or anything like that. Uh, which itself as a concept is just a way that was invented to get around America's meager labor laws. Yeah. And it's basically a way to return. Look, we're, we're building that bridge to the 19th century. And it's important to realize that what meager labor laws this country's had, what meager social safety has had, that was all an accidental blip of history that happened to coincide with the creation of the Soviet Union and the Cold War. And the second the Soviet Union vanished, uh, that shit got erased real fucking quick. So, you know, I mean... Prop 22 is a little thing, but it was probably the actual biggest election as far as a bellwether uh, for this country uh, you know, that happened last night. And it basically, I think the clear thing is, look, we're building that bridge to the 19th century. So get used to it. You know, I don't say beyond that other than I blame Colin for having proposed it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> you know the road to hell uh paved with good intentions <laughs> well that that i mean that brings up something that i think i was left pondering after you both were talking about how we take power or how we exercise real power is how do we get over the increasing obsession 
from both parties with personal responsibility and the increasing atomization and alienation of workers. Like, it's probably hard to imagine a more drastic example of that than gig workers, where, like you said, you are a company of one, essentially, with no benefits and uh, a pretty hefty tax obligation, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, How... And again, you're probably living on the margins. So you have all of these things stacked up against you. Uh, how do we, how do we surmount th- that? I mean, how how do we galvanize labor movements when the trend is to increasingly d- disperse the workers from having much solidarity or even having awareness of belonging to a true class? Yeah, I mean, the reason why Uber and Lyft like these kind of arrangements is that it it does make it more difficult for their, you know, workers to organize, right, and to work together. Um, You know, I I think just right off the top, right off the top of my head, I mean, the first thing we need to do is we need to convince people to stop caring what the Republican or Democratic Party does, right? I mean, that's that's step one. We need to we need to we we have to convince people their savior isn't coming, right? Like there is no salvation. There is no pie in the sky when you die, right? I mean, that's the the old labor movement joke, right? <laughs> you know, it's never going to be there, all right? And that's the thing that has to be done first is convince people to stop paying attention to that shit, all right? And stop pay- and start paying attention to, you know, what's actually happening on their jobs and their coworkers and stuff. And yeah, I mean, it seems incredibly difficult. The only thing I can say is, you know, most work in America was contract work and so the labor movement forced it to be, you know, the current arrangement, right? To be full-time year-round and to have, uh, you know, the current sort of employment protections and stuff like that. So it can be done because it has been done. Uh, How do we do it, though? You know, fuck, that was 100 years ago that, you know, people were able to organize on that side. I have no fucking idea. It's it's, it's truly, uh, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's going to start on each individual job site in each industry. I mean, I have no fucking idea. Yeah. It's going to be really tough. I mean, but the first thing, which was true in the 19th century too, the very first thing that has to be done is illusions have to be broken, right? We have to put on our big boy pants. And uh, that first illusion is that there is a democratic or Republican choose your poison savior out there for you. And, that's the first illusion that has to go. Basically, the only people that are going to save us are ourselves, and we're going to have to figure that out, man. I mean, and it's, you know, how do you get that message across? I don't know. I've been pushing it for a while, and I don't think I've ever had any strong success. So, you know, I I, I was working in machine shops, handing out communist papers and stuff. I don't know that I ever converted anybody. So fuck, fuck if I know how you do any of that shit. Yeah, but I think, well, maybe we talked about this last time we recorded. Um, uh, I think that you're right, Brian, and that ultimately we all need to be focusing more on what we can do with in our own lives and realize and recognize that a lot of what's happening on the national stage is mostly a weird entertainment for a certain class of person that doesn't really have much real skin in a political game beyond the per- 
perpetuation of a status quo that is destroying and literally killing people every day. And like I said, I mean, I don't know how we proceed. And like you said, I don't know how we change people's mind. But despite it being difficult to have those conversations, I think some part of those people have to hear you and recognize those things because they're very obvious if you're paying attention. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, as somebody who was not born a red diaper baby who grew up uh, the parents of boring Democrats in South Texas, right, in a city that no uh, political organization ever cared about. So it wasn't like Seattle where there's uh, 782 Trotskyist organizations and one of every other normal political group. Um, (laughs) You know, we didn't have any of that shit, man. It was just literally Democrats and Republicans. You know, the first people who brought radical ideas to me or whatever, um, you know, I rejected them. Right? I was like, uh, mm-hmm. that shit's stupid, dude. That'll never fucking work or, you know, whatever things that everybody always says. But the thing is, for me, that shit, it crawled into some dark part of my brain and it sat there and it continued to eat away and eat away. And as I thaw- saw things get worse, as I saw things, you know, uh, not go the way the fairy tale tells you it's supposed to go, but go the way it actually does in America, which is just a never ending shit sandwich. Those ideas became clearer and clearer. And it, and it is true when you talk about political development, that it's not linear and nobody can probably point to the person like realistically who like won them to anything. I guess my, it, it's a cumulative effect. It's a quantity into quality, right? If we were to go with the uh, fun uh, dialectical terms, right? A quantitative, you know, sort of input that turns into a qualitative shift in your sort of understanding of the world. And my only reason for kind of going into this is to say, have conversations with people. You need to go talk to people, all right? Like, Leave the fucking city for Christ's sakes, people in Seattle. Leave the fucking city for fucking <laughs> once in your life. Leave the fucking city and go talk to people. Uh, and have Seattleites comments. are famous for hiking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leave the city to talk to a human. And then, you know, actually have conversations with them where you treat them with respect and don't act like a fucking asshole know-it-all, but actually treat them with respect and have a normal fucking conversation with them as if you were a human who's actually engaged in human contact with another human before, which I know will probably take practice for most of the people in this city. <laughs> but do those things, and even if you don't change well, that person... The revolution's not going to start here. Yeah, so you know that, right? <laughs> But, you know, go do those things, and I guarantee you, it has an impact, right? Trust me, as a, a reformed asshole, as a reformed, uh, you know, shithead, it has an impact, all right? You need to go do that. And you know what? Don't be so possessive. Don't demand to take credit for change that you see in other people, all right? So have the conversations with people and don't worry about if they uh, become, uh, you know, Maoist third worlders in the next week or not, right? <laughs> you know, But you need to start talking to people and you need to talk to them not about, you know, dumb pie in the sky shit. You need to talk to them about the conditions that they're experiencing right now, right? And you need to talk about and try and draw connections between the experiences and the struggle they are having and the larger system that is creating that struggle for them, right? Yeah. You know, having that conversation of it would be great if we had, uh, you know, better services like Medicare for all or whatever, 
but we can't have that if we have if you know the American Empire exists as well because we're going to constantly be paying for war too, right? You need to you need to have these kind of conversations where you try and you know connect the local issues they have to larger issues within capitalism itself and back again, all right? And you need to have those conversations with respect and not talk to people like a goddamn know-it-all, which I know is fucking funny coming from this podcast where all we do is talk to people like know-it-alls, but you know, that's the prerogative of podcasters and that's why it's not political organizing. So, <laughs> but, you know, that's our prerogative. So we're taking it, but hey, I have for uh, the last decade ranted to anyone standing around uh, about my complaints about the business we work in, the current work situation, mm-hmm. and how that relates to uh, capital exploitation. Have I gotten through to anyone? I don't know. Has it hurt my career? Probably. Absolutely. <laughs> By the way, it will hurt your career. This is, look, you're not going to get rich doing this. You're actually going to get poor because you did this. All yeah. right. It's going to hurt your job chances. It's going to hurt a lot of things. But at some point, you know, but what are you going to do? On the other hand, I have also spent. 20 years off and on slowly proddingly a little bit um uh s- more serious campaigns from time to time and uh retreats strategic retreats mm-hmm. at other times i have slowly uh always held out hope ever ready to give an encouragement to one day see the day come when Colin would start watching Star Trek: The Next Generation <laughs> and become a and, uh, become a Wesley Crusher head like Greg. Yeah, and <laughs> and looks, listen, that day came. That day came, uh, and for all our thoughts uh, on for all of Colin's thoughts on uh, season one of Star Trek: The Next Generation, you'll have to tune into our Patreon episode. Uh, this week (laughs) yeah thanks everybody yeah Yeah, thanks everybody leave the city go talk to people be normal um and uh yeah i mean that's all we got sorry that this was light on jokes Uh, (laughs) um you know look uh we watched we were up all night watching the elections very excited and then uh you know i don't know i i don't know how you look to the future and have positive things to say but half uh, of the people listening just thought to themselves do these guys think they're funny yeah <laughs> wait is, was is this, this supposed to be a po- comedy podcast what, you, what, yeah was this podcast supposed to be normally funny <laughs> was this an aberration because it all is at this level they probably thought this was the funniest episode is the problem but uh but yeah so uh you know we'll catch everybody next time i don't think we had any new uh patrons or at least we didn't check Oh, um, like I said, I was just putting in a fuel tank today. I didn't really prep for this. Yeah, so I don't say. Other didn't than that, even finish. If you still pa- don't have a fuel tank, yeah. If you're a new patron, we'll we'll catch you in the future. Um, stick with it. Uh, we we will say your name eventually. Greg will mispronounce your name eventually. <laughs> wow, sold out. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, good night. Yeah. Hang in. Hang in there, everybody, and good night. Mañana, tesora diante, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 una mañana, tesora diante, sali a buscar al opresor, es mi deseo, es mi deseo, seguir luchando, seguir luchando, bella 
ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 es mi deseo, seguir luchando con el fusil para la libertad. Y si yo muero, y si yo muero en el combate, en el combate, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 y si yo muero en el combate, tome en tus manos mi fusil. Soy comunista, soy comunista, toda la Ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 y si yo muero, 